there, Dave. How are you going? Very well, Luke. Yourself? I'm really good, thanks. It's uh, a little bit earlier than we normally record on Monday, uh, which is actually quite good. Maybe this is a good time. Don't for mind it at all. Do yeah, not yeah. Eight thirty normally is when we record, and it's probably too close to my bedtime normally. I close the laptop and go directly to bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got a very special guest. Uh, probably a long time coming in the form of uh, Richard Adamson from Young Henrys. Richard, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad, all things considered, with the lockdown in New South Wales. But um, yeah, thanks for having us. Not to dwell too much in the lockdown, but I guess Young Henry's, what does it look like for you at the moment? Uh, look, things, things are going okay. Obviously, um, losing the keg um, volume that we kind of rely on is um, is a bummer for New South Wales. But um, um, other than that, look, we've, we've got a reasonable, um, you know, reliable pack um, volume that we can fall back on. So um, we're doing okay. That's good. But yeah, I definitely feel for everyone in hospitality and um, in the music industry, particularly, um, who you know lose all their gigs during this period, and then um, you know most of them, or a lot of them, have um, have jobs in the hospitality industry as their sort of secondary form of income, and they lose that as well. So it's sort of like a, a double kick for them, which is which is not fun. Mm. Mm. If you can buy buy some merch. Uh, tip them through Spotify if you use that or, or go into Bandcamp and buy some digital things from your favourite bands, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. I think I might be the only one with a beer. Dave, did you get a beer? No, I'm without. It's a little bit too early for me. And Richard, I don't, it doesn't look like you've got one. I haven't, but the fridge is over there and I've got I've got some of the um, Rolling Stones collab Unifier in there, so I might just go grab one. Yeah, uh, jump up and grab one. Unfold, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I've grabbed – I was in Hepburn the other day and grabbed some of the Hepburn Springs Brewing Co., uh, this isn't the champion, the trophy-winning Pilsner. It's the new release Vienna Lager. Uh, I don't mind the Vienna Lager. That's a good choice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was a good a good chance to get up there. I was only really briefly visiting them uh, just on a bit of a break, and it was kind of cool to jump in and see. For people that don't remember, they won the trophy. It's almost mythical now, isn't it? Like yeah, you're, yeah. you're in the presence of greatness. The trophy for the Pilsner at the last year's Indies, uh, it had everyone going, who? <laughs> who, who are these people? Uh, I had a really quick chat to them both, and they were just the loveliest couple. Uh, really, really cool little tap room near the Hepburn Hot Springs. So if you're if you're there, you may as well. That's Why cool. Yeah. That that um, Indies is a little bit of a blur for me because it was um, it was held at Filter Brewing Co in New South Wales, and most of us hadn't been together in one place for a long time. So um, the sort of background noise as the awards was going was, was in many cases overriding the presentation of what was going on. So uh, I didn't like miss a lot of the awards and just sort of picked up on when there was a, a, a New South Wales winner, there was a sort of yell from a table and um, yeah, it was pretty chaotic scenes, but it's good fun. Being in the control room, we could certainly tell that you guys weren't paying too much attention. <laughs> but um, I don't think that was all part of the fun for us. Trying to, it was, it was it was so wonderful seeing people all around Australia gathering in smaller gatherings and, and you know getting a window into what happens at a at filter when everyone gets together. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was it was a it was a great time. I had to jump in and given a water um, towards the end of the night and I, I think I, I think I got away with it just. <laughs> well, it's all on tape, so uh, I can just <laughs> double check and see. <laughs> did you um, did you try the Pilsner while you were at Hepburn? No, I've got some tins uh, which I've nice. had. I'll, I'll keep one for you, Dave, because I've got a few other beers for yes. you. I, I feel like you'll be interested. That's what I was angling at, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> I'd really like to get back to, to Hepburn. It was a lovely little stopover. It was the last day of our holiday and we just were driving through and it was, yeah. What's, what's around the tap room? So Dalesford's just nearby, which is, you know, a holiday destination, good food, good good wine in that area. Um, not far from, we were in Heathcote, so not far from there as well. So Fair uh, enough. Yeah, a good kind of regional Victoria weekend. For sure. Is the tap room itself like a destination spot or is there like other, is it amongst other hospitality or retail? 
it's kind of up the hill, so you'd kind of have to be driving there. Yeah, to get right. There. Okay. Um, Fair enough. But I think there's a couple other. Like, there's a few hotels and stuff, and like a couple of like as I said, it's you could walk from the springs, which is just kind of a little bit tucked away. Um, yeah, nice time. It was a nice time. Yeah, I like it. Very good. Uh, so, Richard, you've just launched a whiskey. Yeah, uh, of all things, um, and one that is almost twice as old as Young Henry's itself. So um, it was. How does uh, that work? Explain this to us. Yeah, it was a very, uh, I guess, a, a unique and um, you know a rare opportunity, really, that um, that came our way, um, and it was through a, a, a friend, Tim Clayton. Tim was the owner operator of. The Vanguard in Sydney, which is a uh, music um, um, kind of um, vaudeville type venue, um, fantastic venue in um, one of the kind of unique music um, arts sort of you know uh, little centres within within Newtown. Uh, and his uh, father had bought two barrels of uh, Tasmanian whiskey as part of his, uh, I guess, retirement fund. Um, and it, it had, you know, it's kind of reaching a, an age where something needed to be done with it. Um, and he came to us and said, well, you've got a, a liquor license and you've got to still, maybe you guys would be interested in, um, putting it in bottles cause that would, that would be a dream of his father's. Um, so we, 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 we organized a trip down the Tasmania and, um, we had to get the whiskey out of the cast. We didn't get to keep the cast. Unfortunately, we brought it up to Sydney and we put them into two, um, so cut down um, uh, European cuts um, and aged them for a further two years um, just to sort of round out the flavour because they were a little bit, we thought they were a little bit one-dimensional. Um, great, still amazing, but one-dimensional. And the, the part that struck me that was interesting is that the alcohol content had gone up quite considerably um, in the two barrels. So one was at 72%, I think, and one was at 67 uh, and then after those two years, we, we thought the flavour had matured enough for us to um, package. And um, you know, looking at it too, I think the two two barrels joined together um, were more of that more of some of the parts than they were as, as separate. So we thought we would join those two those two separate barrels into one. Um, and then out came this um, rambling man whiskey so that's kind of the long and the short of that that story um so it's i think it's a, a beautiful thing that kind of you know tells the story of clayton so um tim's father bill who was an avid whiskey lover um motorcyclist his favorite song was the rambling man with that was that was tim's idea in the hotel in in tasmania it came up for the name of that um name of that whiskey um, I kind of love that it was, it's this old sort of found Tasmanian whiskey that had been around for a long time and been through quite a few sets of hands too, as it turned out, um, on its, on its way to us. Um, and then finishing in this Australian Apera, uh, sherry cast just to round out the flavor. It's something unique, something that we'll never be able to do again. Um, and something that's absolutely delicious too. Super limited. I, uh, I understand. Yeah, well, it's well, obviously once this one's gone, it's gone. If <laughs> <Yep>. that <laughs> won't be repeated, I think uh, we had three hundred and eighty-one individual bottles. Um, we had a, a very limited tasting with some um, some press uh, present, and um, and three of those bottles disappeared. So um, three eighty eighty-one minus three, um, yep. and uh, I'm not sure how many there are left. I haven't. I haven't seen the latest recon reconciliation, but there was quite a few sold within the first week of release. So um, I think there's a couple around. I, I, I think there's still stock at the moment, but going fast. Um, I think I know the answer, but uh, what's the? How much can you say to the lineage of the barrels? I can't say that much. Um, <laughs> it, it's it, it is a little of a secret, but it was. Um, it, it is distilled in Tasmania. Uh, what twenty one years ago, um, the actual distiller is is a, is well known. Well known um, distiller of Tasmania, I think is probably all I can say. Um, the okay. barrel numbers were 
492 and 493. Um, they um, may well maybe HH barrels. I think if you know enough about Tasmanian whiskey, you could probably piece all that together. I don't know anything about Tasmanian whiskey. Dave, do you know anything about No, I'm just going to get my sleuth hat on later on and uh, try <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a couple of people I could message and just say. But, but um, it, I kind of like the mystery of it all as well. It's kind of part of the fun. It is fun, yeah. It is. It, it, can't, it can no longer be called Tasmanian whiskey though because it, it was brought up to, to, up to Newtown and, and finished in different barrels as well. So um, it's now become a, an Australian whiskey um, with a – I guess, a unique and mysterious lineage. <laughs> Did you have anything like this um, on the radar? Like, had this not uh, come across your hands? Uh, not, not at all. Uh, and in fact, it was it was around the same time we had started distilling our own. So there is um, young Henry's whiskey um, aging at the moment. And um, we did get um, some... Um, some assistance along the way in terms of um, how we're going to um, put this together once the opportunity came, um, you know, came to us. And Dan Woolley, um, who um, I think is pretty well known within whiskey circles, he's, he's actually got whiskey tattooed across his knuckles. Um, Dan uh, now has um, the Highwayman whiskey label, which is, which is his. He was involved with this project. Um, and we gave him a barrel of our own whiskey um, as a thank you for the helping us in this project. Um, I think he then finished that in um, some sherry casts and he has released that under the Highwayman whiskey label as well. So um, I guess that's kind of all part of the Young Henry's whiskey story. The first whiskey we released was not out of our still and the first uh, whiskey coming out of our still is not a Young Henry's release. So um, all's, all's fair and love and war, I guess. So when would the Young Henry's whiskey be ready? Uh, yeah, I think not, that's going to that be a wait and see. It's been four years um, in barrel, so it's it's getting towards maturity. I think it probably needs a little bit of um, finishing in another barrel just to um, give a bit more complexity. Um, but certainly travelling well and it's got a really good base and... Um, the Highwayman release, I think there was 193 bottles of that and it sold out within 40 minutes. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty confident that when that, that comes out, it'll, it'll get a good reception as well. Do you like whiskey? Me? Hey, oh, I, I, I love whiskey, yeah. Um, it, yeah. I guess there's not too many types of alcohol that I don't enjoy. Um, all in moderation, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did study distilling up in um, Scotland. I got the opportunity to go up there and, and study in um, Elgin, uh, which is Speyside uh, territory, and visited a lot of um, distilleries with a mate of mine, Richard Pike, um, who lives over in the UK. He's from um, a band called PVT, um, who's a, a whiskey fanatic. So uh, he and I and a couple of friends visited um, a bunch of distilleries and having... Um, Name drop that I was studying there. We've got we got a few special tours and visited some of the Dunders and got to try some whiskey straight out of the cast and that was a pretty magical experience. Mm. Um, and I kind of learnt what I like, what I like, what components really make whiskey for me. So it, it, it is about a really good new make. Um, so you know, well, well fermented um, malt character with a nice you know nice floral. Um, new make spirit sort of coupled with I think the fruitcake sort of character of European oak and some American oak some of that vanilla character sort of combined together is what makes a really great whiskey for me I'm not um, a massive fan of um, peat like too much peat kills it for me and that's the same with peated beer too like I, I you know I can I can go some some of the um, really smoked um, you know, right and flow, just like um, beer and, and, the, and the like, but too much blows me away. So, when was the when did you study distilling? Uh, it would have been probably six years ago now, six or okay. seven years ago. Yeah, uh, around probably around the time that we looked at putting our still in 
at Young Henry's. So that that was with eyes to get Young Henry's making spirits. That's right. Um, which was kind of a um, a project uh, done somewhat naively, I guess. In in some ways, we thought um, that our brewing and beer sales would slow down, and we would give us opportunity to have another string at our bow. That that didn't eventuate. This is like the Young Henry's. Uh, growth in beer sales did not slow down so it, it was a little bit of a secondary thing for for quite a while um and i'd say our first release gin was was nowhere near where the quality of the the, the gin that we're releasing at the moment um and i guess the the awards that the, the the gin has received more recently reflects that that the the quality has changed um we've also got a, a dedicated head distiller now um carla dalton and she's carla's taken the the spirits to a, another level again, um, which is very exciting. So we're really pleased to see where the other gin's going. Um, we've got a whole bunch of things in barrels that have been there for some time, um, which will, which is coming to maturity, which we'll, we'll see released in very small batches. Um, so that's kind of more of a fun project. And hopefully we can get some opportunities to put some stuff in barrels again and um, for the future. Thinking of Young Henry's, you talked a lot about um, you know, working with with different people in this, pro- even in this one whiskey. You know, there's two outside kind of people you worked with to make this happen. At least, um, collaboration seems to be a pretty big part of Young Henry's. Uh, is that, I guess, is that always been a conscious part of your business to be, a, you know, collaboratively working with with other people? It really was. Uh, so I, I, you know, I look back from the when we started in 2012. I think the first limited release beers we did was with um, some friends who played in, you know, in rock and roll and independent bands. Uh, so Peter Fenton from Crow, um, who wrote this beautiful manifesto about what he wanted the beer wanted the beer to be about. Um, you know, sort of smoky late night King Street on in Newtown with, you know, um, water on the on the road, that, that sort of smell of bitumen and, you know, had these references to the um, to the the hunting tracks that would have been in, in Newtown, the Gadigal people. And um, you know, he kind of came into the brewery and read this to Oscar and I and we, we tried to respond with a with a beer that kind of tried to encapsulate that, um, which um, was Black End Moor. Um, so a, a, a dark beer with some um, uh, native bush tomato and a little bit of smoked malt, and that was that was a really beautiful uh, release where he came in and, and sung in the brewery, and we had uh, Black Star Bakery, the local bakery, make some pies using the the, um, the beer, um, and the other one was uh, with Front and Loader, um, which is one of my favourite sort of you know uh, hard rock um, independent bands of of the nineties. Still playing to today, um, still releasing records. Um, very um, fiercely independent and um, in their mindset, and they all came down and and made a day of, of making the beer on the weekend. And we had like a whole bunch of people come down that were, um, you know, based in that '90s independent rock scene as well, and hang out and have a barbecue. And um, I think that really kind of you know told the story of what. We wanted Young Henry's to be about, and what Young Henry's has been about since then, and it's that that sense of um, community, I think that um, that centres around that Newtown arts and music scene. So, I mean, I think I kind of know, but just thinking about hearing you talk and sort of how you how you started with Young Henry's and, and that, um, what's your background, and how did you make a decision once to open open a brewery? I guess my background's pretty uh, pretty varied, but I I did play in bands in the nineties, and um, and Oscar and I sort of bonded over um, music as much as we did beer when we was first sort of met and started talking about starting Young Henrys. Um, and prior to that, I was uh, I was in IT for several years, worked in cryptography, and managed um, technical support for a software company for the Asia Pacific region. Uh, and it started with Barron's Brewing um, before starting um, Young Henry's. And Barron's Brewing um, did have a fo- focus on native Australian ingredients and had a Blackwater Ale and a Lemon Myrtle Wit Beer, which was 
uh, I'd say unusual in its time, but um, probably wouldn't even be a blip on the radar these days in terms of what, you know, the, the breadth of what independent, uh, independent beer and craft beer is today. A lemon metal wit beer is probably um, wouldn't raise too many eyebrows, but, um, you know, go, go back 15, 20 years, that's called, it's quite an unusual thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I always loved Australian ingredients and loved doing different things with beer. I, I guess what was what I was seeking out in Young Henry's that I didn't feel was there in the original Barons days was that um, was that connection with the the people that were drinking the beer and I guess that opportunity to um, to collaborate and explore, um, which we certainly made a, a focus um, of the Young Henry's and. Um, you know, we kind of felt that music particularly was something that it was very inspiring to Oscar and I. And when we got out and sort of talked to to um, the musicians, of, you know, great beer was something that was inspiring to them as well. So we thought if we could do something that um, reached both audiences and expanded both audiences, and we could turn some people onto the music that we're into and, and vice versa. Um, it would be a really cool way of getting the name of Young Henry's out there. Hmm. Similar to, I guess, how Goat started. Uh, I remember chatting to them and they were talking about how let's try and run our, be- our brewery like a band in the sense of we have merch, which at the time, you know, late 90s, whenever they were starting, no no breweries really did merch, like a band did merch, I guess. Yeah, well, Cam, uh, Cam was a music promoter, so he, you know, mm. he, he knew, knew, knew quite a few people that I and Oscar were in contact with as well. And, um, yeah, we did some fun things with, with Mountain Goat back in the day. At the same time, we did a collaboration beer and um, we did a, a great little gig down there in Collingwood. Um, um, a little, I don't know if you've been to Collingwood Farm. There's a... Um, there's a is it a cabin or a kind of a, a shed there that we um, did a gig with even um, and had cans and that was a lot of fun too. Mm. Mm. Um, Dave, did you ever drink Baron's beer? No, the name is real familiar, but I don't. I could. Um, I couldn't tell you if I had anything. What's your experience with it? I remember seeing it in the bottle shop. This was pre me doing anything related with beer. Sure. I used to, you know, whatever was interesting in my local bottle shop, I'd pick up, and I do remember picking up the. It must have been the lemon myrtle, um, and being like, "What is this? This is unusual." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was at the time that any slightly different looking label. Um, I think the only other beer, oh, there might have been Red Duck, Mountain Goat, and Three Troopers, who were the oh, contract. Yeah, I remember all those. Yeah, brand. Yeah, um, and. I think that was kind of a, a formative kind of. If I think of those brands, and particularly in Australian beer, for me, and going, oh wow, there's, you know, because I just moved from New Zealand and I was missing my my Montes and my Max. Which sure. At the time were, and then Jamison's had that raspberry beer, and then that IPA that the beast like, was yeah. the beast. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. nothing like great. it at the time. That was a great beer. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I've been reliably informed that Barron's is, is making a comeback as well. So, um, it, it has, um, it's made a couple and, of comebacks, hasn't it? Yeah. It's Off been bought and sold by a few people. Um, but so it's what, in, was, what was your actual involvement with that? So I was, I was one of the founders in the, and the head brewer. So the, yep. the original recipes were mine. Um, but yes, they will, they are remaking, um, a few of the beers, particularly the Blackwater Ale, um, so using wattle seeds. So, um, I, yeah, I, I went into the new owners down at the um, AIBA Awards um, just recently. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. It is strange, like uh, you mentioned Lemon Myrtle Wit. That almost seems a little bit old-fashioned now as well, that... Um, I don't know, there's something about that you'd expect it in a, in a brew pub back then and now I don't know if people are making... I was going to say, yeah, those sort of like flavour profiles have sort of come full circle now and it feels like that it, it wouldn't be a bad time to see those kind of beers in the market. Yeah, because no one, I mean, no one's really making wit beer e- even. Not at all. No, I think <laughs> and, um, it's interesting. I've, I've just seen your Matilda Bay um, thing in the back behind you, Luke, as well, and 
thinking about um, Redback, and I just read recently that they're looking at um, releasing that with a, with a changed um, flavor profile, so less uh, less German, more American, perhaps. Which um, mm. that was probably one of my formative beers for me. Was was um, I remember drinking Redback at the Annandale Hotel, seeing bands um, and being struck by how unique that beer was, and it was such a it was a really different sort of bottle to a really heavy glass bottle with a little over the cap had a little sticker over the top of it, which I thought was kind of unusual as well, and the textured sort of red stripe on there. Um, all those things really, you know, was just so different to what was out there. It was fun. That was the um, that was the beer that my uncle would buy if it was like a special occasion. He'd get a slab of red back, and that was my first sort of like uh, foray into. Well, I didn't. Even, it was just different to me. I didn't really know anything um, really what I was getting into, but I knew it was a bit different, a bit special. And then there was the yeah, the lemon in the in the neck, whether to have the lemon or not to have the lemon. Um, and a lot of people thought it was cool to put the, like, the lemon in there, and I, I hated it with lemon in there. I so, didn't even uh, realize they they tried that. Did they, would they, did they try that as a marketing push, or was that? Just I think they did. I, th- I think it was like it's not that unusual. I think in summer to have a have a slot of lemon in a wit beer or a radler or something in Germany, and that was maybe picking up on that idea. Hmm. Um, and I think Brad Rogers um, was the original designer of that beer with Phil Sexton, um, perhaps. Um, or at least he was brewing it at the time, um, right from Stone and Wood. And I remember like asking him whether he liked the lemon, and he said he hated it. So like... <laughs> I was a little a bit surprised. Thing. Same, same, Brad. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised when you started that sentence saying Brad Rogers, and I was like, Brad with a lemon, huh? So yeah. I'm glad it finished with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly enough, uh, and this is a little bit off topic, but we're here now. Um, the Matilda Bay box behind me, people listening can't see it, but um, they sent out a promotional pack of a, a beer in this lovely wooden box. And I, I kind of was very uh, opened up with a lot of anticipation, um, wondering, you know, if maybe it's the original strength dog bolter, which is, was 12% or something as the story goes, um, or something to warrant a, a big, you know, a box that looks like a big beer in it. Uh, and it was a it's a four percent English style golden ale in uh, a big bottle in that box called the Owl. Um, I'm sure it's lovely. I haven't opened it yet. I've opened, it's in my fridge. Uh, I was just kind of a little bit disappointed. To I don't know. You, you see a nice wooden presentation box with a big bottle in it, and you get a four percent golden ale. You're sort of like, oh. yeah. I, I, golden ales again were really hot. Um, at one stage and have, um, have fallen out of, yeah. Yeah, fallen out of fashion, I think. So I, I, I remember, I remember a couple of them and there was a, um, there was one by James Squire, I think with Amarillo. Um, they might still make it. I don't know, but I, I remember trying the first iteration of it down in, um, is it down near the in Docklands down in, in, Melbourne, sort of Portland Brewery or something. Um, yeah. The, um, yeah, it was a fair bit stronger and a lot more Amarillo and just having that, that flavour of grapefruit was something that was very striking at the time. I was with a couple of people who found it undrinkable, um, <laughs> which I think I look back now and, you know, what, 15 years later and go, man, that's that, <laughs> that's how far we've come. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't move the needle these days, would it? Yeah. Um, we talked about music and stuff and, and off mic uh, before we started, we talked a little bit about uh, I went to the Good Beer Week event here in Melbourne, uh, the Young Henry's one with Pinch Points, a uh, really good local, uh, I guess, proto-punk band. Uh, really, really cool. If anyone uh, sees a Pinch Points gig coming up, go check them out. Uh, it's a lot of fun live. Um, they're doing another another Young Henry's gig is happening or, or has happened with another band that I really like. Uh, UV Race, uh, another proto-punk band, um, really, really cool. I guess, how how do this music collab, how do you keep driving that? How do you decide on which bands? Because those bands are certainly, you know, they're not 
they're not well known. They're not. Um, they're kind of still pretty small pub rock bands. How does that all come about? Are you are you involved in that? Do you have people booking it? Um, I think um, I think my um, general taste in music. I'm you know being a little bit on the older side, I guess, of people in the very doesn't necessarily guide it all these days. Um, although I still you know I still like to keep in touch with what's new and coming up and. You know, like Fangs and Seaside and bands like that. Um, I'm really sort of digging at the moment, but no, that's like you know, there's so many people with the, involved with our company that um, are in touch with the music scene. Either they, you know, they play or they used to work in the music industry. Um, certainly, everyone's out seeing bands a lot, so it's a constant conversation. So, um, yeah. Like that, that side of, of the of the business in terms of like working out who we're going to do some cool gigs with is not a difficult thing to do at all. Um, so if it's not someone in the, in our in our company that's playing one of those gigs themselves, they certainly have a, a personal connection with someone who is. So um, that's one of the delights of working at Young Henry's is is being involved with all these um, these amazing up and coming artists and. Um, getting to support them as well, I, I guess, because, you know, from our perspective, um, we know how hard it is to make a, a living out of music. We've, you know, I've been there and, um, you know, in the earlier 90s, I guess, I, I played a lot of um, a lot of gigs, led a lot of PAs into a lot of pubs. Um, and same with Oscar, you know, we know how hard it is to um, make a living out of live music so if we can do anything to support the industry that we love um that's what we're going to do it's supporting i mean especially in sydney and melbourne supporting pubs as well isn't it it is and uh you know when 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 i was playing um we were probably seeing the rise of the poker machine room in um in new south wales particularly in sydney that was quite often replacing the band room because, um, you know, it was a it was a much easier way of making money. Um, but it was to the it was to the death of pub culture, in in my opinion. And we've realised that. And I think um, you know, prior to COVID, there was certainly a resurgence of live music, and um, we we'll hope to, that continues when we sort of come out the other side of this as well. Um, but without you know, without that sort of cultural connection at the pubs, I think, um, you know, unless you're focusing on solely on your food and solely on your on your offering in terms of drinks, you know, um, music goes a long way of making pubs an exciting place to be. Mm. Mm. Um, the Rolling Stone collab, I almost said Rolling Stones then, but... Not yeah, not quite. quite the that. Rolling Stone magazine <laughs> yeah, is, is, is still pretty big from where yeah. we're coming from. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you've done a Foo Fighters collab as well, so it's, you know, they're, they're probably historically on the level of Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's an yeah, argument so- for a different podcast, but... But <laughs> <laughs> well, Rolling Stone for me was um, like I when I was playing in bands and even before that, it was a, a massive inspiration. And I used to like really read the Rolling Stone magazine religiously from cover to cover and go back and um, read the long form articles, which I think they were they're pretty famous for and well known for is that um, it, it wasn't just a music magazine either. It was a real exploration of um, culture and what was going on at the time. Um, and it's been re- obviously the magazine's been relaunched in Australia, um, which was why we're doing the collaboration was really to kind of to highlight that. Um, and I think that's what they they really wanted to put the focus on, and something I, I, I think is worth um, remembering the the history of that, and, and that's something they want to continue is that they are more than just a music magazine; it is a cultural magazine, and that focus they've always had on on long-form journalism is um, is worth looking into as well and um, is an absolute joy to get to read where it's not just a, a, a five-minute read. It's a, it's a 10, 15, half-an-hour read um, and really get into an issue and um, get some 
good interview space out of it and um, yeah, get a better understanding of what's going on in the world um, too, which I really enjoy. How do you approach making a beer with them? Like, do you, do they, do they involve, are they involved at all or? Every, every collaboration would make. Yeah. Every collaboration is different. I think um, in terms of how, how much people want to get involved with the beer, how much of a strong opinion they have. Um, we always try and tell a story with the beer and sometimes that, that comes off really well and sometimes it may, it may be more subtle than we would like. But um, this one, Rolling Stone, we used rolled oats and hops that gave some stone fruit character. So- <laughs> That all checks out. Yeah, <laughs> I like how you a little bit. It, it almost looks like you're a little bit embarrassed to say the the pun. No, I think, I think <laughs> it's I, I think it's funny in some ways too. Like yeah. it's kind of like it's you know it's a it's a it's a cliched. Oh, maybe, but it's also like that you know. And we're all but we're really proud of the beer. The, the, the beer is um is we haven't done a hazy parallel release like that has gone that this far. Um, as far as this one has, and it quickly became a favourite beer drunk in the brewery. Um, it's always interesting when we do these releases and it's hard to get the balance right sometimes. You, know, you go, well, how much do we put into cans and how much do we put into drafts? And this one, the draft beer has sold out so quickly. Um, it's kind of caught us by surprise, um, notwithstanding the, monk, the, the, the amount that's been drunk at the Yank Henry's Tasting Bar, which is considerable. Um, but it's it's gone really well on tap. Um, the cans are tasting amazing. I was, I was still still loving out of the can, but um, it's a bit sad to see how quickly it, it disappeared on um, on draft. Uh, Wait, sad to see how quickly it disappeared. Yeah, well, because I, I still I still want to go and drink it at the tasting bar. So I'm looking at like that's that that's gone. I, um, I feel like if anyone can sort of make it happen again. You're it could in be a good position. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If only I had that much power. I think we're onto the <laughs> onto the what's next. Um, so there's, you know, the guys are busy on a few things in the brewery. Um, nothing I can talk about at this point, but there is. Yeah, they're working on the next one. Um, so uh, there's still, as I said, there's still cans of the um, of the unifier around. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a really I'm really proud of how it came out. Like Sills, uh, Jesse L, our head brewer, did a great job on this one, and um, it's a super drinkable hazy pale. So, speaking to that, how much? Yeah, how much influence do you have over the the brewing side versus you know day to day or the kind of long term uh, stuff that you do? Yeah, not, not 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 that much anymore, to be honest. So, um, you know, like I, there's. There's a ton of people with great ideas now, um, and it's probably time to give them the opportunity to express their creativity. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm there for a bit of guidance, but um, yeah, look, most of the time it's like you know, it's one of the one, one of the brewers on the on the brewery floor that's come up with an idea, or has worked with the people we're collaborating to create the new beers. Like um, you know, the stuff I've been working on for young henry's is is probably a fair, like a, a fair way further out in terms of what we're looking at it, it might be something like the algae project that we're running um, i have been working on um on a, a a new product development which we'll see hopefully in september which i can't talk about but um it it, it involves the still more than it involves um the brewing floor so um yeah, on the on the brewing side, it's probably more um, technical um, advice and ongoing on that front rather than creating new recipes. So less of the fun stuff and more of the serious stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> What's the algae project? Oh, cool. So we've been involved in a research project with UTS uh, for just over three years now where we've been looking at um, CO2 capture and recovery and growing algae on the back of the CO2 that we can capture from fermentation. So um, algae, um, it, it's interesting that we're looking at microalgae, uh, a metre square of um, space on the brewery floor, so a 400 litre um, algae bioreactor 
produces as much oxygen as if the whole side of Young Henry's was Australian bush. Um, so wow. pretty, pretty amazing um, carbon sequestering capabilities. Uh, what we've been looking at um, since then is what we do with the algae after that. And uh, I, I remember reading and seeing on TV this um, macroalgae, this, this seaweed that could be fed to cattle that reduced methane output from cattle um, by about 80%. Um, microalgae that can do the same thing. So we've been looking at um, strains of algae that can grow in a, a high CO2 environment that will capture that CO2 that we, we bleed through it. And we've got algae that is growing almost twice as fast as algae that are just, just if we, if we bubble um, air through. So it is, it is capturing that CO2 and, and accelerating its growth. And then we're, we've got different strains that when fed to cattle and, and in, in small amounts up to you know, 1% of feed as a supplement is reducing um, methane output from cattle. And, and as breweries, we're already feeding our spent grain to, um, to cattle farms. Um, this could be a really good way of breweries reducing their carbon footprint even further and have the potential to generate um, CO2 or carbon credits because um, methane's 30 times um, CO2 in terms of greenhouse gas um, impact. So the ability for breweries to grow this algae and then feed it to cattle um, could have a, a, a real and lasting impact on reducing Australia's um, uh, carbon um, footprint and carbon output. I think um, agriculture is around 6% of our total um, greenhouse gas emissions in other countries, it's much higher, and that's because Australia has such a reliance on coal, although that, that's reducing, which is exciting. So I think we're up to 20% renewals now, renewables now, and the, the price of energy is going down considerably because of renew uh, renewables. Um, I, don't, I don't think we'll see a new um, coal-fired um, power station in Australia built, at least commercially, um, if the federal government gets involved and gets crazy and decides to build one, that'll be another story. But um, it doesn't make any economic sense to grow to, to build a, a coal-fired power station anymore. Um, so as we reduce our, um, our reliance on um, coal for our energy, the, the, we'll, we'll need to turn to um, agriculture and what agriculture can do. And I think the really exciting thing about this um, technology that we've, um, we've got in the microalgae is that this microalgae can be grown in urban environments. So any source of CO2 um, could be where we could we could put these bioreactors. And there's a lot of CO2 that's generated from, say, gas uh, refining as well. And that's a that's a possibility for this technology as well. So um, that's really it's really exciting. Um, it's probably grown bigger than what Young Henry's can do. Um, Further, but we've you know we've we've been funding this ourselves with some help from the government. Um, we need to look at what we do with this in the future, but it's um, it's it will, will will certainly be ongoing, which is um, yeah taking up more time than I thought, but um, also <laughs> certainly worthy. So for just for context, um, with an operation the size of Young Henry's, how much algae can you produce? Yeah, that's that that's an interesting one, and it. A lot of that will depend on the algae strain that we select. So we've got a lot of different mm -hmm. candidates and knowing that we, you know, if we're targeting that 1% of feed, then we'll need to match that with the output of the grain mm -hmm. and then have a look at how many heads of cattle we can, we can impact. But, you know, I, I did some, like, you know, I've done some rough numbers and I think we could probably, like, feed, you know, around about 500 head of cattle um, which would be, you know, it's about six, probably about 12 tonnes a year of this, of this algae. Um, and that could, you know, something like that could generate um, carbon credits of around, you know, it's probably around 16 grand a year with the current prices of, um, of uh, a tonne of carbon in Australia, which is only around 12 $13 a tonne. But if you look in the, the in Europe, you're talking around about seventy dollars a ton for carbon credits. So um, 
I think that'll change too because, you know, Australia's been very reluctant to um, talk about a carbon tax and any any government that's talked about a carbon tax has uh, promptly changed leadership or lost power. Um, but it's going to be forced upon us. So uh, I think the last G7 summit, a lot of uh, industries in Europe were talking about carbon leakage. So they're, they're going to be held to um, some sort of some form of carbon tax. Um, any exports that Australia has um, to those um, markets will attract a carbon tariff if we don't do anything within our own country to um, to abate or um, or have some sort of you know green balance on that. So um, I think that price will, will quickly change. How do you? Why did you start that? Or who who drove this? You know, it says it's, it's you guys are sort of paying for it with UTS. What was point to uh, for this? It was a crazy idea. Like so, I think um, like we I got to meet um, the head of research at the climate change uh, cluster at uh, UTS at a social function, and he invited us to come down and check out what they're doing. And I'm. You know, they're just, they're just down the road from the brewery. So a bunch of brewers and I popped down and checked out the labs and we saw these glowing green bats of algae and um, he asked if we wanted to get involved in any research and I went away and thought about it. And those it, it, it seemed to be like a almost like the opposite of yeast in some ways. There was some similarities in terms of, um, you know, that sort of husbandry that you need to go into managing yeast was very similar to managing algae. Well, it sounded to me like it, but there was some, it was almost like the opposite of in some ways that, you know, it takes on CO2 and produces sugar and oxygen, does the opposite of yeast in that. And the, you know, the environment becomes more alkaline where the environment becomes more acidic. And I thought, well, there's, there's this almost natural balancing that can come on here if, if we, we're using yeast in an industrial scale to produce beer. Maybe we can use algae in an industrial scale, um, you know, scale to, to balance that. And man, I, I did remember that study on the on the seaweed with the cattle feed, and thought, well, we're already feeding cattle. What if we, you know, combine that algae with the cattle feed to re- to further reduce the carbon footprint? And I, I had a few beers when I was thinking about it at home, and then woke up the next morning, and it still sounded like a reasonable idea. Uh, so I. I I went back to UTS and, and asked them what they thought, and they said, "Yeah, look, look, that sounds like a really interesting area of study. We'd be we'd be keen to do that." Um, and we got a match government grant to do the first part, which is a feasibility to see if we could grow algae in a brewery. And it turns out we could. Um, we didn't kill it. Um, it it actually went pretty well, and we're three and a half years down the track of researching this now, and um, it's been. Really exciting, and everyone in the brewery's got behind the idea. I think you know it's it's been a bit of a an extra thing for the brewers to sort of manage, but um, they're all on board with the you know with what this this may do for the industry. If people haven't seen the photos uh, from the hit the media about the algae one, um, if you Google Google image Young Henry's algae, the photos are remarkable, uh, bright green. Uh, it, uh, you want right to say now. toxic looking, but the opposite of that, basically. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does look radioactive, um, but that's the that's because it needs to be lit up like that to um, for it to photosynthesize. So, um, you know, whether it stays in that kind of format with these bubbling green vats, or whether we put something outside and it naturally photosynthesizes, is, remains to be seen. But um, I, yeah. I I can almost picture sort of pipes running on the outside of the brewery little bright green kind of running into the brewery as a just as a marketing tool more than anything yeah well that would be you know, walking past and they've, they've, they've been doing that in other places with other applications for algae to treat wastewater and putting the pipes on the outside and that you know there's something about green light too that um we as humans really respond to as well and it has a it has a cooling effect on the building as well in those applications so I think that positive green light, that positive impact on green light on on people, and the fact that it's treating waste and cooling the, the building—that's a really cool kind of cool kind of application as well. It's yeah, it's always good hearing breweries talk about these kinds of things because we all know that brewing is pretty intensive uh, on the environment, and then 
the you know it's, it's not super essential to to the world uh, as much as we wish it was. So it's kind of cool to hear you know you guys doing that that sort of thing. Um, yeah, good good work. Cheers, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been pretty rewarding and it's pretty exciting to see where this this can go as well. Um, we're coming up to time. I just want to um, one more thing. It's more of a comment rather than a question. Uh, the young Henry Steyer. Uh, I had a six pack of that in my fridge recently, and uh, it's a it's a winner. Yeah, oh, thank really you. It's uh, yeah, that was a that's had an interesting history as well. So um, we did when we first made that. I think there was well, we talked about doing a mid-strength beer. There was a, a a bit of a discussion amongst some people in the brewery. There's like, why are we doing this? It seems to be very anti-craft beer, um, and there was a lot of skepticism that we could do something that was going to be tasty. Um, but I can confidently say now it is the most drunk beer at the brewery. Um, and um, not surprising, really, when you've got a whole bunch of people that really enjoy drinking beer and want to drink a reasonable amount of it, that a mid-strength would be something that people gravitate towards, um, particularly with logistics guys that are going to you know, drive the next day. Um, the ability then to have a couple of beers and then knock off and be safe to drive the, you know, the, the day after is, um, is a great thing. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I love that beer too. I think it's, um, one of the smartest things we did, um, just from a personal perspective as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's probably going under the radar. I mean, by design almost, but, um, yeah, every time I've had it, uh, I think the first time I had it was when you, the offends collab that you guys did, yeah. uh, and I was up in Byron for the kind of launch of that. And yeah, the Steyr was a really nice, just Byron, you know, a, a warm Byron evening. Grabbing that out of the esky was a, a pretty nice time. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's um, it's it has gone really well um, and continues to sell really well too, which is um, very pleasing. Um, Dave, do you have any more questions before we wrap this up? Yeah, last one. Who's your dream musical collaboration? Oh, outside the ones we've done already, or one like one? Yeah, we've, well, no, no. Man, it's hard. Like, you know, like personally for me, you and I was um, one of my favourites because they'd been a, a favourite band for a long time, and um, become really good friends with like a couple of members of the band, particularly Andy, um, bass player and manager, um, who's you know a local and yeah, become a really good friend. Um, so that's yeah, it's that's going to be pretty hard to beat, I think. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. I, I love uh, that you've gone someone that you've, you've worked with and that's local as well. That's, it feels yeah. like in the spirit of Young Henry's. Yeah. Um, there's, I think outside of that, there's been, like, you know, everyone's got their kind of favourite bands that they're, you know, and Foo Fighters was definitely one that um, Dan, Al, Al um, Sal's um, director was, you know, and, and, um, one of the owners was really keen to do. And when I got the call out of the blue about that one and then told him he kind of lost his shit. Um, <laughs> sure. That's a, that's a reasonable reaction, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's, um, we'll wait and see. There's, I, I know there's some, I know there's some, some discussions in the works, so I don't want to preempt anything, but yeah. Dave, who would be your, I think I know the answer, but who would you want Henry to <sighs> team up with? Maybe the drones, I'd say. Yeah, Gareth. Gareth sung at a couple of Young Henry's events actually down in Melbourne, um, and Tropical Fuckstorm was pretty fantastic as well. Hell yeah! So, yeah, yeah, too right. How about you, Luke? Ah, uh, it'll be someone dumb. Uh, Jeff Jeff Rosenstock. There you go. He's I'm probably not with Jeff's work actually. Uh, he's he he's from the states. Um, I'm, look, I'm, I'm just kind of disappointed because he normally tours every year at least once in Australia and plays at my local pub. Uh, the local pub's since been sold and he obviously hasn't been touring, so I feel like I'm missing some Jeff Rosenstock in my life. I think um, everyone's missing everything at the moment. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like that's a good, good place to wrap up. Uh, Richard, where do people find Young Henry's on the internet? Younghenry's.com. Um, or uh, at Young Henry's on Instagram. Um, 
you can find us on Facebook, uh, yeah, all the usual places. Uh, and if okay, anyone's so quick enough that they can snag a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, yeah I, I would get on that pretty quick if you're keen, save up your, well, probably delay your payment of pennies because you, you, you have to cough it up now and, I don't know, give a good excuse to your partner on why you're buying it. It's a special birthday anniversary or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's waited 21 years to see a lot of day. It could probably sit on the shelf for a while too if, you can, <laughs> if you've got the patience and willpower to leave it there. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty enticing one. Uh, maybe we'll wait till I have to I pay the tax man before I consider spending more money on whiskey. Uh, <laughs> That'd be <laughs> a wise a wise move. Uh, Dave, where do people find you on the internet? Send me an email, davidalivertime.com. Luke, how about you? Alivertime.com, uh, hypothetical institute for your uh, conspiracy needs. Uh, last one was up about meat magnets. I think we spoke about this in the last beer podcast we did. But what's the, sure. what's the conspiracy? Are they are you debunking conspiracy theories or? Uh, we're entertaining uh, exploring them. Exploring is probably exploring, yeah, yeah. We, we nine times out of ten we're debunking them. Right. Uh, okay. We're not even debunking, just kind of trying to work out why people think, and, and in this case, why people think magnets stick to meat. Um, oh. Yeah, there's a lot of people at the moment trying to stick magnets to meat, thinking it's a conspiracy, you know, by the government or whoever to, um, to uh, you know, make us, uh, I don't know, full of metal for some reason. 5G is related to it. Oh, right. right. Okay. It's it's really complicated, but also not complicated because... It's like all those people <laughs> saying their 5G um, reception's gone up since they've had the vaccination, which is, which is the regular exactly joke the I same. see on Facebook. Yeah. Yep. Which I, I can say, unfortunately, isn't true. Having had the two two doses myself, my perception well, has not changed. Yeah, I'm increasingly getting like it, this is probably one of the ones in a while that I've gone, man. I'm just so lost for. I'm, I'm losing faith in humanity. I, I thought people <laughs> wouldn't think you could stick magnets to meat, and on the videos, uh, if you go to the Hypothetical Institute Twitter, I've put a, up a few. The, the magnets clearly aren't sticking to the meat at all. <laughs> yeah, but people are still using it as evidence. They're like, "Oh no, you can feel it pull towards the meat." Didn't didn't someone try and do that to prove the vaccines were were affecting them, and they held up something to stick to their head, and it probably fell off or something? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. and there's a lot of those videos of people putting magnets <laughs> to their arms. And again, it it's the least compelling evidence you've ever seen in your life yet. It's going gangbusters on the internet. So yeah. people have been locked in their houses for too long, Luke. I did. <laughs> yeah. I did watch that doc, the doco on um, the flat earthers that um, they constantly did these experiments to try and disprove the Earth is round, and then pro- and, and kept on proving that it was. And yeah, then, <laughs> and then said there was something wrong with the experiment. <laughs> uh, beyond the curve, I think that's still on Netflix. If, if people want to watch it, yeah, worth, uh, worth checking out. It's it, it is a good one. It, it, yeah, it's a little sad. I, I guess in some ways too, I can you can understand why these people get into it because it's more about that community that they were missing, I guess. Um, and they found a community in this in these conspiracy theories. So, yeah, it, it humanizes it in some way as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So tune in for for all this more of this discussion on the exactly. hypothetical or find a community at the pub and listen to some music that's yeah that's my, yeah. That's my advice um and shout out to everyone in sydney who's probably seeing those numbers every day and, and feeling pretty shitty uh it's not easy so uh if you're if you're having any issues reach out to a friend and have a chat absolutely the best oh, check, out the, check out the resources on um iva website too um for mental health and um yeah, there's a bunch there. iba.org.au and uh, it's the health and wellness up the, on the right there. Want to uh, hit the front page. I know that because I put it there. Perfect. Um, <laughs> thanks, Richard, so much. Uh, and Dave, I uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for no both worries. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Now enjoy that. That was a great talk.